Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, my name is Scarlett Russell, and I'm the entertainment editor at Style. And once again, I'll be chatting to inspiring female founders, On this episode, I'm very excited to announce that our guest is the founder and CEO of Bloody Good Period, Gabby Edlin. Gabby, welcome. Thank you for having me. Thank you for coming in. You are 32. You were born in Manchester, but now live in London. Three years ago, you founded Bloody Good Period, a charitable organisation that delivers menstrual products, shower gel, wet wipes and other toiletries to around 30 asylum seeker drop-in centres in London and Leeds. You've got hundreds of volunteers, have raised a further £200,000 and host two podcasts, Stay in the Room and The Blobcast. It's fair to say the worthiest side hustle we've had on yet. Can you tell me in your own words what Bloody Good Period is and how how it all started? Sure. So uh, we are a charitable organisation in London and we started out to provide menstrual supplies for asylum seekers and refugees. And that got started because asylum seekers receive £37.75 a week to live on. They're not allowed to work. Um, and you know even their volunteering time is restricted. So um, I started volunteering at a drop-in centre in North London, and quickly realised that they had all of the like quote essentials, but didn't have period supplies. And when I asked about it, the the people who were running the centre were quite like they they were really like lovely about it, but they were like, oh, you know, we just give them out in an emergency. Oh, we have a few behind the table, and I was like, that's not how periods work. Like they're every month. It's not an emergency, but if you treat it like an emergency, it becomes an emergency. Mm-hmm. If you you know are a woman who's come to the UK to seek safety and don't speak much English a lot of your money is probably going to go on period supplies because you're likely to have a regular or heavier periods because of trauma. But coupled with that, you're not likely to ask somebody who isn't already offering period supplies because of all the shame and the stigma and the taboo that surrounds periods. So um, I decided to just put a status on Facebook um, and it just said, like, I'm collecting period supplies. Can anyone send me a few packs of pads? Um, and I connected it to an Amazon wish list, which meant people could just click and buy and it would come straight to me. And I think I expected to have like a few packs come in, but like the flow never, like pun intended, sorry, it was <laughs> completely accidental puns at all times. Um, but the flow like never stopped and people just kept sending them. I thought it was just going to be my friends, but quite soon I started getting packages from like people I'd never met and 
you know, you got little notes in them that said like, because the first one I got, I remember that I was like, who is this? Was someone was like, Roxanne told me about your cause. And I was like, who's Roxanne? I don't even know, like, I don't even know who the friend of a friend is. The word spread. The word spread. And I think it was, it was around the time, it was just after Brexit. It was when Trump was coming in and everyone was angry and people wanted something to do. And our generation is a bit sick of charity, you know, fairly and unfairly, but fairly in that, you're expected to give money. You don't see where it goes. Um, you feel like it just feels like giving money to a corporate. You don't feel like you get to make any decision. And for us, it was people were seeing exactly what they were sending because they were buying it. They were buying the pads. We said, we want this and this and this. And they said, okay, use their own money, bought it, sent it to us. And that's basically how it started. And so now we give to, I think, nearly 2,000 people a month. But we're also very much like campaigning for menstrual equity. So we don't feel that it's just about um, period poverty, which is, you know, when somebody can't afford products and is often really connected to schoolgirls who aren't going to school. But it affects everybody, really, period poverty or the lack of menstrual equity because so many of us just don't have the information that we need about our periods, about our bodies. Um, You know, workplaces aren't set up for people who have periods. and so um, we continue to work with drop-in centres, um, places that asylum seekers are already accessing, uh, just to make sure that there's just one thing in their life that is just has less stress. So we let people take as much as they need, as much as they want. It's very open, trusting. We have everything on the table. Um, well, that's our policy, like for the drop-in centres, everything must be out. People need to see what they want to choose. Um, and just sort of creating like... The, I guess it's like the reminding people that like essentials that women need well, that's exactly, are essentials. That's exactly yeah. it, isn't it? It's what you're doing is obviously you're providing this amazing service, but actually it it's, goes a lot further because you're raising awareness and you're making it a topic that people are talking about. And it, it, it's such a simple thing. I think so many, I'm, I'm sure it was overwhelmingly women who are first donating because yeah. all women, it's such a privilege. If you, it's something we really take for granted, yeah. just going out and buying some tampons. Yeah. And it's the great leveller, isn't it? Like yeah. we all have periods. Yeah. Well, not everybody, but pretty much most women. And then of course, people who menstruate have periods, but women have periods. So many of us. And so you, or you will have had, or you're expecting it, or you don't have it anymore. And you just get it. You get it straight away. This is what it feels like to not have a tampon. Mm. So I'm going to help. It's so interesting. I, I'm really interested in how, because it, it's this amazing project now. It's got like 25,000 followers on Instagram. You've done all these campaigns, you do events. Let's go back to the beginning, though, because I'm really interested in how I know, I understand how the seed of an idea grew. What do you? do as the first steps to really so I've got this idea I'm going to actually get it off the ground um you, you know you talked about the Amazon wish list and raising awareness through your friends so what what are the next steps do you set up a website did you set up an Instagram account Facebook page what happened to turn it from your Amazon wish list into a bloody good period so um I did a master's at Central St Martins a few years before in um, design for social change. It was called Applied Imagination. Um, and so I had sort of learned about the idea of like intervening, like you do a creative intervention. So that was all in my head. So I'd had all of this experience and I can talk a bit more about that later. But basically it was, it was, it was a Facebook status. It was on my own Instagram. I was making these like terrible little graphics, like just like, oh my God, it was so bad. I was showing my friends them, my friend them last night. If you like scroll right back on my Instagram, it's like, 
took photos of pads that people had sent and then I wrote on them like, thank you, Alex, for sending these pads. These are going to the drop-in centre. So really like super basic. Um, but then I just it just started growing into something else and I just was like, oh, people are really into this. Like it, it was obvious that there was a need for the actual products, but I hadn't realised that there was a need for um, people to give and people to, to get on board with something. And that became clear quite quickly. Um, and because I've always used humour in all the work that I do, because I think it's really important. It really sort of gives people like a way in, it relaxes people. And so that was the way I was doing it. I was talking about the products like, oh God, you know, we all know how terrible it is. If you don't have a pad when you need it, you know, it shouldn't be an emergency. I mean, that's not funny, but like it was that kind of stuff. Um, and then one day I was at work and I think I was on the toilet and it just suddenly thought, oh, bloody good period. And I was like, oh, it just came into my head. Like it must have been cooking in there for a while, but it just came into my head. Like, of course, it was on the toilet, like always. Um, that's where my best ideas are. But it and just, where were you working at the time? I was working at the Royal Drawing School. So okay. I was um, coordinating the under 18s art programs. Fab. Okay, great. Um, so full time work. This was just a. That was so- part time. And I was a nanny as well. Okay. Yeah. Right, so I was, okay. every morning I was at the Royal Drawing School. Every afternoon I was nannying um, for a family. And yeah, so I was doing all of this. It was just in the evenings, like, or like just literally on my phone. Side hustling away. I mean, it was, it was just so, so side hustle because it was literally, I had my phone like under the desk, like Instagramming <laughs> like pictures and like, yeah, fine. Yeah, we can book someone in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, so I, it just sort of came to me. And then I made like the worst logo. I can't even say, it was just, it was, I drew it on my iPad and it was like, just said bloody good. And it had like droplets of blood. And then I was like, okay, right, it's going to do. And like, I knew it wasn't great, but I was like, oh, you've just got to get something out. Mm. Something's got to be there. You've got to, and I'd sort of done a little bit of research and I couldn't find any other sort of organizations that really, I felt spoke about periods the way that I always have as like a young woman. And they were all about like dignity and, you know, and, and, I, I hate the idea of talking about dignity with periods because actually, even though it is a human right, we don't get to decide who gets dignity. We don't get to say, I'm giving you pads, therefore you have dignity. So I didn't like any of that. I also didn't like all the euphemistic stuff that mm. was all like feminine, you know, soft, lovely. And then there was nothing that was just like, reminded me of ha- talking to my friends like, oh, I've had the worst period today. <laughs> or, you know, just talking about like the really basic, really open stuff like period sex or... Um, like, have you ever put two tampons in by mistake? You know, like just the stuff that you're like, everyone understands, but like no one talks about. So, um, yeah, so I made this website. It had the image of it was all like red lava. I got it off a stock photo (laughs) site and was just like, okay, this is where we're going. And that was it. And then it just was literally this mechanism where it was like, go to this, the website just said, go to this wish list, buy this, you know, and that's it. So the wish list is really simple to set up. Really easy, really easy. And so then you get all these products donated, fantastic. You go to drop-in centres, you were already aware of the drop-in centres because you already volunteered for them before. Yeah, so I was volunteering at one of them. At one of them. And then how? Then, then what did you do? To, did you just bring in all the products? Did you tell someone at the drop-in centre, right, I'm going to be regularly coming in with products? What happened? Yeah, so the first time I brought them in was I think the second time that I'd been to the drop-in centre or the third time. And I had this massive box of them. I just brought them in a cab and I wasn't like, I don't. I didn't give them out that time. So I so I was sort of, you know, I didn't feel particularly like bold enough to be like, this is my thing now. Mm. So I handed them over to one of the women 
Um, and then I went and helped on like the children's table. And because it's sort of like, um, it's like a center, like it runs for like a few hours. Um, there's like a lots of stalls where people can collect clothes, you know, nappies, all the essentials, pads now. And then there's a sec- section which is like a cafe and kids center and that kind of thing. So I handed them over and I think I noticed, or maybe someone had said to me, they've got them under the table and they're handing them out like just as and when. And I was like, no, that doesn't work. That doesn't work. Most of these women don't speak English. Like they don't know what to ask for. And if you're going to be embarrassed about it, so is everybody else. Can you imagine if like you went into Boots and you had to discreetly ask for your tampons the way we do like the morning after pill? It's just not helpful. Exactly, exactly. Mm. And like, it shouldn't be this whole like... Taboo. Taboo and this discreet, it doesn't have to be discreet. Like, so I was the next week, uh, the next month, sorry, I brought brought another box and I said, okay, do you know what? I'm going to do this myself, I think. Um, And just had to sort of be a bit bullshit and was like, I'll do it. I'll take, don't worry guys, don't worry, I'll take care of it. And so I stood there and put them all on the table. And then when like women came along, I'd be like, what would you like? And people were really quite shy at first because of course, because it's, you know, it's a new thing and it's also something that people are embarrassed about. But I would be like, I use these, what do you think of these? Do you want these? And if they didn't have, you know, if they maybe just took one packet, I'd be like, do you need another one? How are your periods? Do you want, you know, sometimes mine are really heavy. And just really being like very open and chatting about it. And that is basically how it got started. And then we started getting toiletries for people as well. Um, But then we had to sort of cut back on that again because it was just, it was too costly. But um, we'd have like all period supplies, including like anything for like bladder control as well all the way from like um, tampons, which no one ever takes. It's just a cultural thing. I was going to yeah. ask about that. I was going to ask what the demand was like. Yeah. Were people very, once you um, spoke about it so confidently, were people equally confident to take the products are there? Yeah, and they were very, uh, there were, you know, it was only a few of them, but I feel like, you know, often like there's a few who just will always speak out in any sort of group. They would be like, this is what we want. And so it was actually surprising because I was like, you know, I'd use tampons forever. So I was like, everyone wants tampons. Yeah. Not at all. Why don't people want tampons? It's, they're just not sold in, in lots of different countries. They're just really? not, yeah, they're just like not a product. Um, partly because of the cultural things if you don't insert something in the vagina, um, but also just, they, they just, it, you know, and it's just not a thing. They just don't have them. So you just don't want them. Wow. Um, and so people are just used to what they're used to. They know the brands they like. I think always is like obviously global. So a lot of them would say like, can I have an always pack? Mm-hmm. Um, because that's what they feel comfortable with. And then a lot of them would want like Kotex, really big thick pads. So it's, it really varies, but it's really just like people started to be able to say to us, I want this pack. I want this. I don't want this. Could you get me some more of that next month? And that was like really great because we were like, okay, we're actually doing something that is what you're asking for. Like there's no point coming along and being like, this is best for you. Yeah. Um, you know, that's just it's weird and colonialist and patronizing. And so they tell us and we get it. And how often were you going into drop-in centre? It's once a month. So it was, so it was first, it's always yeah, once a month. Always once a month. And yeah. how then do you go do you grow it from one drop-in centre to four hundred drop-in centres? What how do you actually go about that? Do you just go up to them and say, I wanna yeah. I wanna be involved? And how do you find them? Yeah, so quite quickly I realised that there were quite a lot of pads coming in and I was like we actually I sort of I looked at them they were all in my flat like this was like there was no storage center there was no no volunteers even at this point it was like me and a flat full of pads and I looked at them and I was like okay this is more than I need for three months in this drop-in center 
And so I contacted, oh no, maybe they contacted me. So there was a like a sister drop-in center. And I think they said like, can we get some of this? So I was like, great, fine, right. I'm going to package this all up for you. Can you just come and pick it up? Or I'm going to send it over in an Uber or something like that. Um, and I'm not, I'm not great at logistics. Like it's not my forte at all. So that was all really tricky for me at the beginning. Just like the things that for some people must, you know, they make an Excel sheet or they do it in their heads and it's like, oh, and then this or the really, really difficult for me to like work out like this kind of thing. So it probably took longer than it should have done. And I was making all sorts of diagrams and spreadsheets and like, and then, well, this will go here at this time. And it was like, no, actually, all you need to do is say, can you pick them up? Um, <laughs> and then I just started researching, but I'd researched at the beginning as well when I first started, like... Um, what drop-in centres were in London and and the rest of the UK. And the the reason why we were in Leeds, but we're not in the rest of the UK, is that I had this grand idea that we would go all over the UK. And then I realised how it just didn't really work like that. And actually, like, it wasn't really in line with the way that we wanted to work because we wanted the government to really take over our product provision and, you know, are they likely to do that if we're sprawling? Um, so I thought about that, but Leeds were the first drop in that responded to me. And it was this brilliant woman called Judith, who was just really excited about being able to get the women she worked with products. And so we just, that we ended up just, even after we sort of said no more throughout the UK, just London, we kept her because her center was already getting them. And, you know, the whole point I feel of, of what we do is that we give products at a regular interval that suits the drop-in centre and we never over-promise and we never say, um, oh, we'll be back next week. And then we're like, oops, we've run out. Because that like just severs trust within the drop-in centre, let alone with with us. And also, again, like the nature of periods is that they aren't going to stop until, you know, decades away most for most of us. And so you have to be able to rely on that. You have to be able to not stock up and come to a drop-in centre and be like I need enough for three years because no one's going to get this for me again like it it, and it took us a while in the drop-in centre that that I volunteered at to be like we promise we're coming back and people stopped stocking up they started taking one pad to you know one pack two packs and actually now you know a few weeks ago when I was there we I was like off trying to push some shampoo onto a woman and she was like I've got some you're fine and I was like great like this is how we want it she was like you know I know I'll come I'll get it next month oh fantastic you built that relationship exactly and And that's what's really really important to me and so that's why we actually even though we scale I thought we were going to scale up we scaled back really quickly because it felt more important to create this trust than to serve everyone or try and serve everyone is the government doing anything at all at the moment are they providing these products for drop-in centers as well no not at all no so there i'm actually going into parliament today after this to go and talk about um for school children so they they have said they've they've committed to providing products for for all schools um which Mm -hmm. is really really good um when that's going to happen I mean, I guess I'll find out today and and how frequently, how regularly, how reliable, I don't know. But there's just nothing in place for asylum seekers and other people and, and women, basically, mm. grown-ups mm. and adult people who menstruate. Like, there just isn't any sort of provision, which is ridiculous because actually, like, you're just as likely to not be able to afford them when you're an adult. And that's what happens when people start, you know, just staying in their home or you know, using bits of fabric or using really cheap products for a very long time. You know, that's how that happens because once you're like an adult, you know, if you're a mother, you start having to put children before yourself. And so 
obviously these things they it doesn't it doesn't add up the cost like you just can't do it but no so the government's not doing anything about asylum seekers and that's what we're really pushing for you know for more just it just needs to be like a an absolute just all across the board these products need to be available to people who need them same way same way condoms are mm. and also the same way toilet paper and hand soap is yeah. like if you think about it sure you don't go into a supermarket and get free toilet paper but anywhere you go you expect toilet paper to be there and hand soap because they are essential and really that is the way that period products should be as well so let's go back to the branding I'm really yes. interested in the, how you yeah. brand it so you were talking about your kind of makeshift basic logo yeah. and of course now if, if anyone looks on the website for bloody it's just bloodygoodperiod.com isn't it mm-hmm. it's really slick and oh, it's great and it's, so did you do that yourself did you build it yourself did you get de- designers on board so the very first website I built I've got some experience it's very self-taught design but like it's you know it's not it, I'm not good enough to make what we've got now Um, but the next like iteration of the website was um, once I started bringing volunteers on board and started like um, realizing that people really wanted to help. Um, I found a designer called Amy Shepherd, and she basically built the next website. And what the original thing that we'd done, so I, I had designed the pad logo. I was like, I want it to look like a pad. People need to know what we're about. And it needs to say bloody good period. Um, and so that was really easy, really simple to do. Um, you know, I knew what I wanted. And she came to me with this design for this website and it had dripping colours all coming, all get different colours of liquid coming down. And I looked at it and was like, and I know it was like pink and blue or something. And I was like, no, we don't bleed blue. And that became like a really big like part of BGP because it was like in reaction to the the period pad adverts that are all over you know the TV like it isn't blue it's not purple it's red and it's brown and so I said to her like can you I love this like the whole aesthetic you've made but can you make the liquid red and she did and that was basically how that whole thing was born um, and now we have we work with a studio could have a studio they're called a studio of our own a really small studio they're like creative PR and events and they interviewed me for um this sort of section of their website that they were doing about a year and a half ago that was just about like creative people mm-hmm. or something like that and then they basically pitched to me to say can we can we work for you and I was like we haven't got any money oh, I was going to ask so yeah. did Amy do the, the website for Amy free did it all for paying? free no 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 all, all for free wow. there was no money spent on anything except pads for a good like year wow was the money being spent all from your own pocket? No, 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 no. no. So people had started sending cash as well. Wow. But um, people had started saying like, can I send money instead? So I only let them do it if they were like friends of mine. And I'd be like, this is my account details. And then I would show them the receipts. So they'd send money directly. So friends yeah. and friends of friends send money directly into your account. Yeah. Right, got it. So there was a little bit of that. But um, and then I would always just sort of like print the receipt and like send it them. You know, I've spent this yeah. on pads. But literally it was... All the money that we brought in was spent on travel, getting pads to places and more pads. And then people just sent pads as well. So um, there was no real money coming at the beginning. And also like there was, yeah, there was no sort of system of of paying anybody. And people didn't want to be paid. People wanted to do stuff. It was, it always was and always has been like, mostly women, brilliant, intelligent, talented women who were like, 
I've got this job that I love or I don't love, but I want to give more. Can I do something for you for it, free? It's a really nice way for women to give back. Because I think everyone wants to do something charitable, but yeah. timing issue. And this is actually a really straightforward, easy way that's super effective. Yeah. And so then on the website now, as the website grew, you could add um, sections where people could donate mm. And how to it was if it's a really great website now, so people can go on and just donate cash. And presumably over the three years, this all built up and got a lot more um, developed. Mm-hmm. So then, so you've raised just from is it kind of just from word of mouth because you you managed to get uh, in terms of the branding, you start to get press. You've been in yeah. featured on BuzzFeed and in the Metro and the Jewish Chronicle, which <laughs> I love because I just. <laughs> Imagine all my kind of elderly Jewish relatives just reading about periods in the Jewish culture. It's amazing. I know that's what I re- that is one of my favourite things to be in those situations where I'm like, oh, like Gordon from Gordon from Golders Green is yeah. reading about periods and he can't do he, anything about it. He is outraged. <laughs> they were all outraged. They've never seen one before. Oh, disgusting. Um, yeah, we've never paid for press or obviously or advertising or. PR, basically. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. So, yes, yeah, so going back to the side hustle element yeah. of it. So during this time, you were working part-time as a nanny, you would, and you were doing all of this on the side. Yeah. So which point, when you started getting the, the private investments and the mm. Bill Gates... Foundation, the Gates Foundation, mm. sorry, investment. Is that when you thought, okay, wow, I, I can quit my jobs. This is, I can pay myself a salary and this is going to be my source of income. I can do this full time. So I'm just th- sort of thinking back about like the timeline of it all now. Um, the, the funding didn't come until a bit later. So what happened first is that I was put in touch with a charity incubator. So, you know, in the same like a startup incubator where you, they sort of, I guess, like, they just sort of look after you. and Who's they? The incubator. What's an incubator? I don't know any of I this. always think of it like a little chick. <laughs> it's like a, a chick. Um, so, no, so I was put in touch with this um, organisation called SIVA, like Centre uh-huh. for Innovation and Voluntary Action. 
And what happened was, is I would have, I had a meeting with their CEO and their CEO was like, we think you're a great project and we think it's got potential. So yeah, they introduced us to lots of different, um, like sort of streams of training, funding, all of that kind of thing. Um, and then, you know, he would sort of give me advice like, okay, and then you should probably work at finding some trustees and you should look at, you know, looking at how you're going to pay yourself. And, but you know, this whole time, like I had no time at all ever. And it got to the point where I was like, I can't do this anymore with my full-time job. Um, and they were quite open to me going full-time with BGP straight away. So we had a little bit of funding, but we f- it was building so quickly and people were donating so fast through our Just Giving page that I had like complete faith that they were going to carry on. So we really had like a strategy for like this, we are going to make this much in an, in a year. And we did, and we hit all our targets and it was great. In fact, we went over target, but wow. we basically said, I said, I don't want to go into it whole hog. I want to carry on nannying, but I'm going to quit my job at the art school. Um, Cause it was a job that didn't demand anything of me. I was bored. Mm. You know, the people were great, but the job was like, just administrator and I'd had I'd had a master's and I'd was excited and I had experience and I really wanted to do more stuff so I was like I'm gonna quit that and the nannying families I had two families they were just amazing the mums were so flexible so understanding and we're just like okay well you know carry on nannying for us but whenever you need to go to a meeting just let us know and so I would work around they would work around me with that and I would you know so I did part-time. Every morning and evening, I'd work on Bloody Good. And every afternoon, I'd be picking up kids from school and making them dinner and all of that. Um, and then it got to the point in around summer where I was like, right. Last summer? Yes, yes, last summer, where I was like, okay, it's got to the point now where however wonderful and flexible the nanny families are, there are things I'm not able to do because of that. So both the mums are teachers. And that meant that, unless I told them well in advance, they couldn't be as flexible as I needed on the day. Mm-hmm. And so there was a parliament meeting that I missed basically because one of the mums had Ofsted and, you know, she was incredibly apologetic about it and, you know, she did her best, but like, I was like, this is where my responsibility is. And so I sort of, that was the sort of trigger point that I was like, right, I think it's time we look at me going um, full time. In effect, um, I didn't hire myself because bloody good period hired me. So now we are like a limited company, um, limited by guarantee. And the trustees are all the directors of the company and they employ me as CEO now. So that's how it works. Because I was going to say, this is what you need. You knew then that you needed trustees in order to take it to the next level. Yeah, You needed people with experience. Exactly. All the things you mentioned, making it more official, all these things to make, to develop it, get it to that next stage. You knew you needed that. Yeah, exactly. And so I have a really good friend who runs a charity called The Bike Project, which provides bikes for refugees. And so he was really, he's called Gemstein and he was really, really supportive of me all the way through, still is, but was basically saying, okay, at this point now you need to get some trustees. At this point you should probably be doing this. Mm-hmm. And the charity incubator was helping me with that a little bit as well. But, you know, he was very much like, this is what you do next. This is what you do next. And sometimes I'd be like, no, Gem, not doing that. That doesn't work actually. You know, sort of these rules don't apply. But, you know, he would sort of, he was really good with like the guidance of like, this is the kind of person that you need. And so he introduced me to Sue because she'd worked with him. And so they both came to me and then Amber came in as well. And yeah, it was all, it was all very much, I felt like if you're putting out all of this good stuff, 
people will come because you're not the only one who cares about it. And that's how it happened with the trustees. How else has, has the word gotten out then? So you do some press, presumably you got a great reaction out of that. Yeah. Because it's really grown. And you yeah. know people are running marathons for you. Is there, yeah. is there anything else you really did, you actively did to really push that awareness? So the BuzzFeed article, um, I have a friend who is um, a journalist and I said to him, because I didn't know anything about like the press at all. Like, I'd worked in the arts. Like mm-hmm. I said to him, like, how do I get an article written about me? Mm. Basically, not about me, but how do I how do I get in the paper? And he was like, okay, right, we need to find a hook or we need to find the right kind of place. And he was like, I think this is very BuzzFeed because BuzzFeed like to say, you know, it's that this is meet the woman who, I think the title was meet the woman who helps refugees on their period or something like that. Great, so, really provocative, yeah, really exactly. clickbaity. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And so he was like, I think this is very BuzzFeed. And he contacted his friend at BuzzFeed who then called me and said, yep, we want to write about you. And they did this whole big thing. It was like a massive we did a shoot like I brought one of the women that we work with along with me and she sort of talked about her experiences we don't do that anymore because um it's quite traumatic for them actually and I don't believe that anyone should have to sing for their supper um but at the time I didn't hadn't learned that yet and so she came with it was all completely anonymous but she talked about her experience as an asylum seeker and I talked about the work and then we showed her the we showed the photographer like the storage. So by this time we had a storage facility because my very first volunteer, Natasha, who just contacted me on Twitter, said, I want to help. I'm really good at getting free stuff. Emailed Safe Store and all of like the storage facilities and said, we really need a locker. Can you help us? And the Safe Store said, yep, here's 25 square foot. Oh. And we just got it. It was incredible. Mm. Like she was just amazing. She just sent all these great emails out. And then... um yeah, BuzzFeed came along and that was also the day that I met Anna, who was the woman who set up our entire logistics of Bloody Good Period, all voluntary, just probably the most amazing woman on this earth. So the response has been overwhelmingly positive. We've talked about that, but it is a controversial topic. Mm-hmm. I'm sure it's ruffled a few feathers. Mm-hmm. I'm interested in any, in any perhaps negative response you've had, any backlash. Can you mm. tell me a little bit about that? So I really thought starting an organisation called Bloody Good Period would get a lot more backlash than it did. And actually, the support has actually been overwhelmingly good. Almost everybody has been so positive about it. They're all just like, I tend to get like, thank God someone's talking about it. That's what I get a lot. Occasionally, you know, once when I was doing a collection, I think it was again with Mitzvah Day, someone shouted, you're disgusting. And I was just like, mm, all right, like, <laughs> you're boring. Like, <laughs> I had a giant sanitary towel, a giant pad, like, that I, that me and my friend have made. And she was like, it's disgusting. And I was like, it's, it's not, though, is it? Like, it's not. And it was a woman saying that. Exactly. So I was like, oh, God, who are you? And then there's been a couple of times where, like, one woman came up to me after a, a talk and said, I think you should change your name because there's so much porn in the world. And I was like, what's that got to do with me? So like, I mean, like genuinely, honestly, everybody has loved it. The Charities Commission does not love our name. They don't think we should say the word bloody and period together. They think it's offensive. It's just a word. Um, but the only like the real backlash that we have had has been from trans exclusionary trans exclusionary radical feminists. So people who don't believe that trans people exist, um, like really vicious, horrible people who hate that we use the word menstruator and that we say women and people who menstruate or that we basically include everyone and that we say we understand not all women menstruate and not all people who menstruate 
identify as women or are women. And so um, they've been like vicious, but it's almost funny and it actually works for us because it's what's incredible is whenever we do something they don't like, they tweet us manically saying, I was just about to donate to your cause until this moment. And I was like, the intersection of all of these people who were had finger on the mouse about to donate money to us and the moment that we said a word you didn't like and therefore it stopped gosh the the thousands of pounds we must have lost Mm. like honestly what it's just rubbish it's absolute rubbish you were never going to support us you just like a bit of conflict and and it's sort of skin uh, not skin off a duck's back water off a duck's back because they weren't going to support in the first place. No. And actually, the messages that we then get from people who are non-binary or trans men who say, thank you for making me feel included, or, you know, will then sort of say to us, do you think you could do this with your language? Or, you know, we like that you do this and, you know, we're not sure about this is is incredible. And it's actually worth a million people saying to us, I was about to donate and now I'm not going to. Like, yeah, that's the backlash. But in terms of actually periods, like it's been pretty minimal like people are ready to talk about it. And I think especially women have just been absolutely gagging to talk about this for so long um, that almost the entire like population of our supporters have just breathed a sigh of relief, maybe. Fantastic. Like finally it's not a secret anymore. Yeah. So last question before we move on to the next segment. The plans for the, because it's, it's very important we're clear, this is a charitable organisation. It yeah. is not a charity, mm-hmm. but you are planning to make it a charity. Mm-hmm. How? What are the differences and how are you going to go about making it an official charity? So we did apply to become a charity. We applied to the Charities Commission and it took eight months for them to get back to us to say no. Um, what so, does it mean to be a charity rather than a ch- charitable organization so, oh gosh I, i'm not entirely sure but i know that we are a company we're yeah we're a company which we registered as because we needed to do that in order to pay people um and it just means that as an as a company we are charitable so our we don't have any profits basically all everything that comes in goes out to do our work um and if you are a charity you're basically a company that is a charity as well and it just means you get loads of extra benefits basically like you god um i'm so bad at remembering this stuff but basically it's you're recognized as a charity which means you're trusted mm-hmm. you get lots of things like you can get free space you can raise money much easier you know you can um it, it basically gives you like a sense like a, the, the cachet of it's official mm. it's not just someone in her room you know, bringing money in and no one really knows what they're doing with it. You have to file all of your accounts. You have to make sure. The thing is, we do all of that anyway so that we're ready, but you don't actually have to. Right. Um, But when we become a charity, we have to file everything. They know exactly where every penny goes. And it just means that we are trusted and we are, um, we have someone. It's it's basically for, for other people why did they say no and what are you going to do next oh, we're replying again they okay. said no they thought the name was offensive uh-huh. um and they also said they were they weren't sure um why we had hired me as ceo even though i was like oh, kind of <laughs> kind like, of founded the company yeah, kind of me. <laughs> um so we've got amazing lawyers working on it now and it's just it's really really hard to become a charity which is good of course it should be hard to become a charity but you know, because not everyone should become a charity, but it's very slow. It's a very slow process. And we've been working on it for e- forever. And we had three unbelievably intelligent women working on the, 
you know, on the application and still we got it wrong. So, mm. you know, we, we, we've got another application about to go in. So, re, you know, hopefully it will happen and hopefully we'll do it. And if we don't, we'll do it again. Would you change the name? No. No. Okay. Yeah, I used to, uh, there was a part of me that was like, we could just call it BGP, but then we got the response that, so the first thing was that there's another charity called Period, and they said, I think it would confuse people. And we were like, do you know how many charities there are that have the word cancer in, <laughs> or who have have the word age in, or, you know, that kind of thing? Like, there is one other charity called Period. <laughs> and so I was like, no, we're not, because it's obviously that you're not comfortable with the word period. Half the people in this world menstruate, and you can't take that. Um and weirdly, it wasn't the word bloody. It was it was the word period combined with bloody. I know. Yeah. So I was like, well, no, on that, no. You know, and our name is so crucial to what we do because it is the name that opens up conversations and that yeah. lets people know what we are about straight away. There is no sort of, I was going to say fannying around with it, but... Uh, <laughs> But there's not, you know, like it's, that's what we are. That's what we do. We make sure that people can have a bloody good period, mm -hmm. you know, and and I don't see why we should censor ourselves for a group of uh, old white men. Yeah, quite right. Quite right. <laughs> so Gabby, I'm going to move on to our mentor segment now. Can you tell me about two women that really inspire you, that have really helped your career? Who are they? What have they done? So the first one is I've got, I've written her name down, hard to say it right. Um, Catherine Navrotsky, who um, I met right at the beginning of my career. So I think I'd been working in the arts for a couple of years and really was just, I need to do something different. I need to be working with women. I want to be doing creative stuff. I want to be pushing the boundaries and like the plate and whatever it is everybody else pushes or people don't push. And a friend put me in touch with her and she was working at business in the community, which um, I think I still do. But at the time we had a really strong like female focus, like how to um, really encourage women in the workplace. And a friend said, you want to talk to this woman, Catherine, she's brilliant. So she made time for me. We had a coffee. I think we met a couple of times. And she basically just started signposting me to people and saying, look at this, look at this, look at this. You know, these are the options. I didn't know that you could have a career in doing things with women. Like, I really, I really didn't. I didn't understand. I mean, and you kind of, it was different then. It was only like six years ago or something or five years ago, but it was different. The workplace was different. But she really like inspired me to just be like, you, th this is possible and yes, you can earn a good salary from this. And yes, you can have, you can work in charity and do things differently. And she just kept making time for me and was sort of always, you know, I was only in touch with her for a little bit, but I'm back in touch with her now. because She's amazing. And she sent me loads of brilliant, like lovely things. But she just was one of those people that you feel like sees something in you. And I feel like that's really important as well. It's not just that you look up to them and you think they've got a career that I would like. And it's not just that they make time for you and give you ways to improve yourself and to push your career forward. But you know that they think that you're good. Mm. And that is really, it really makes a difference when you feel like that because it gives you like a, a real confidence. Um, and so, yeah, she deserves like a massive shout because now that I have a busy career, I don't have time. I never have time for these things. And she, you know, she probably didn't either, but she really made an effort for me. And that was like brill. Okay. Um, I'm torn between the other ones. I think I will have to say my chair of trustees, Sue Rubenstein, who came along 
just over a year ago now, I think, and has basically welcomed me into her life and world and just, I mean, she's beyond a chair. Like she's a mentor and she's a friend and she has so much knowledge, but also really trusts my experience and my knowledge and really draws on the things that I'm good at I think and that you know again she makes me feel great but also she's like the most brilliant sounding board she's so perceptive and she really considers my life outside of bloody good period as well and she's the kind of person who will sit me down for a coffee and say okay because we don't want to run this forever we want the government to take this on what we're doing Mm. we we don't think it is a charity's responsibility to um take care of human rights basically and so with that, she's very much like, okay, let's talk about what you do next. Have you thought about where your career is going to go? And she's very much like sort of has has like my career interests as well as my personal interests yeah. at heart um, and is just such a champion for women. Amazing. Like beyond anything. And her whole family have kind mm. of like rallied around mm-hmm. BGP and just become like part of it. Now we move on to the What She Said segment of the podcast. What She Said is a weekly column every week in the Sunday Times style where we ask leading women from a range of industries to tackle your workplace dilemmas. Tell me, how do you juggle work and a personal life? So I guess the most important thing is that you can't do everything yourself Mm -hmm. and you have to realise that. However much of a capacity you think you have and however much of like energy you have, like there is just, it is just not possible. I mean, like... I once saw a mug that was like, Beyonce has the same number of hours in the day as you. And I was like, (laughs) no, Beyonce has an entire team that makes Beyonce Beyonce. And you have to work with, you have to understand that, that like you can't do, you cannot possibly do everything and you will not do everything well. So, so I have a team now. Um, So we, um, after Lily, who was our social media volunteer, moved to Amsterdam, we basically said we need to, we need to invest in this. This is, this is our publicity this is our we don't pay for advertising we don't pay for like posters to go up in toilets but social media is where people reach us and where people hear about us and engage with us so that is where the money needs to go we'll do the quick fire questions now love this round so gabby what is the first thing you do when you wake up I check my phone. It's so bad. Checking for emails, Instagram. Everything. And mm-hmm. then I have a big glass of water. Right. Okay. Yeah. When are you most productive? In the evenings, I would say. Late afternoon, evening. I'm not a morning person. I got up at nine today. That is early for me. <laughs> I hate that about myself. I really would love to Sorry, be a morning person. Sorry, we dragged person. you in. No, no. I had start. a meeting before <laughs> this. I'm fine. Um, yeah. In the evenings, I can work like an absolute machine. But also uh, when I'm ovulating. So I try and work, I try and work to my cycle. And I know now that um, just some point in the month, like 14 days, I am, I I track it with clue, honestly, do it. It, It's life changing. I know at that point in the month, I will have energy, boundless energy. So I'll go to the gym more than I'll do more work. I'll do more writing. I'll do more meetings. And then, you know, just before my period, I will close down a little bit you know, shut up shop. Um, but yeah, ovulation and evenings, I would say. Three apps you couldn't live without. Okay. Um, Google Maps, Spotify and Instagram, because I'm a basic bitch. Like, Brilliant. seriously. 
who are three people we need to follow on Instagram? Okay, the first one is my work wife. So this is someone who, she doesn't actually work for BGP, but we work together and she's Shay Yakuowo and it's spelled S-E-Y-I-A-K-I-W-O-W-O. Uh, you can find her from me, but she's just an absolute brilliant woman. Um, the second one's my other work wife, Karen Hobbs, who is a comedian who talks about her vagina all the time, obviously. And the third one is Bloody Good Period. Um, obviously, you <laughs> absolutely need to follow us. Rachel's an absolute queen of posting. And um, I think it's it's a, it's a good laugh, you know. <laughs> we'll have a lovely time. <laughs> Last, lastly, checking emails after 10pm, yes or no? I mean, obviously no, but that doesn't mean I don't do it, you know. <laughs> I try not to, but um, yeah, of course I do. You have to sometimes because you just got to get shit done. Yeah. Stuff done. <laughs> On that note, Gabby, it's been such a pleasure talking to you. Thank you. Um, and thank you so much. Plans for the rest of the day. You're off to Parliament. I'm off what to is Parliament. This? So the Department for Education I'm going to, actually not Parliament, but I think it's all the same thing, right? Um, it's the government. We're going to talk about period products and then I'm off to Haywards Heath for a lovely weekend with my friends. Gabby, it has been such a delight speaking with you. So interesting. So much great advice there. Thank you so much for coming in. Thanks for having me. It was so fun. Well, there you have it. Thank you all so much for listening. And of course, goes without saying, but please subscribe, share and rate the show on iTunes, Acast, Spotify or wherever you indulge your podcast habit. I've been Scarlett Russell and this has been Secrets of the Side Hustle brought to you by Benefit Cosmetics UK. Hold up. 